This podcast is brought to you by Media 8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Good evening, guys, and welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, episode number four. I'm so glad to have you here, guys. Just remember that tonight, uh, as we are streaming live, uh, there may be some things that you hear that could be quite triggering. Uh, we are having a very in-depth conversation tonight, so if you need any assistance, there's some numbers on my website, uh, and you can head there for uh, some support options. So uh, thank you for joining us. I have an amazing guest tonight. I have the wonderful Dr. Shirt McGillivray. She's here, she's smiling, she's happy. Um, she is an amazing uh, clinical psychologist. She deals with child trauma. She's an assistant professor. She's got a long, long list of accolades. Um, and, and very exciting, guys, she is also the CEO of Eagles Edge Training and Consulting with her business partner, Kelly Humphreys. Uh, guys, we have started a company. It's so exciting. Sure, welcome. Um, thank you for jumping on tonight. My pleasure. So we're going to be talking about some pretty um, big stuff tonight, but, you know, I know that uh, you deal with some of the most vulnerable children and families in your work. And with my lived experience, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk about this topic than you. Um, so I... <laughs> I know, you know my story. So for those of you listening for the first time tonight, my uncle uh, sexually abused me from the age of eight until 15. So my lived experience is a familial experience. Um, it was very difficult, you know, obviously going through that. And um, I took psychology at university. I'm not a psychologist, um, but <laughs> I don't think you take psychology to, uh, to you know, help yourself. Sometimes it's about helping other people, but I found... I probably learned more about myself uh, in that process. But the whole inner child thing was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what is this concept? Um, and it was kind of very cliche for me. And I thought, well, that doesn't apply to me. So I'm just not even going to bother with that. You know, I didn't identify with the fact that I needed to connect with that person, that inner me. Um, but I also hadn't done any healing work. And I was probably a little bit angry at my little me. So, you know, I, I guess uh, I kind of want to hand it over to you and kind of explain maybe in a bit more clinical terms than my layman's terms what, what it means. What, what's this inner child business? What does it mean? Yeah, I, I like your terms. Um, and I think it's probably how it becomes the little little me because we're so angry at it that it just gets smaller and smaller, which I think is what we're talking about tonight is, is that demise. I was looking it up, like the original um, definition in the Oxford Dictionary of an inner child, and it means it, it's your supposed, like your true original self. So it's like those childlike hidden parts of your personality, um, you know, that we're often quite playful, spontaneous, creative, but 
I think it's definitely accompanied by anger, hurt, fear, attributable to our childhood experiences. And it's sort of somewhere along the way when who you were before you had that traumatic experience that maybe makes you believe that I'm not enough, that I am angry at myself. You know, maybe there is some danger in being who I am um, that prohibit me yet from being my full self. And, and what we do when we sort of, and trauma, remember, is not necessarily just what happened to us, it's what's happening inside us. And I suppose the more you blame yourself and the more that shame um, that you're putting on yourself, you're distancing yourself from that child self or those painful emotions um, that help us survive. So it's not a bad thing because it's actually helped you get here, Kel, and, and all our listeners, you know, and I think that's probably one of the biggest parts I sort of wanted to share tonight. It's your body has literally, and this inner child has helped you survive. Um, yeah. um, but suppressing it and continuing to disown her is is actually what's going to cause you more psychological distress in the long run, which we can talk I wonder, about. I wonder what was wrong with me. <laughs> I, I think it's hard because, you know, as survivors, they have, there's a lot of anger and frustration and all this sort of stuff. And um, I think you, you hit on a really key point because we, we're so hard on, you know, that, that the young person who we are. And um, I think there's a lot to be said about parenting our inner child, right? Mm. Um, and, and that's a conversation that uh, we could have, like, many, many uh, podcasts yeah. that alone. Mm. Um, and I just know that going through those experiences, I was so hard on myself because I thought, oh, you should know better. You should be mm. able to do this and you should be able to do that. And I was like, I just wanted more out of myself. Mm. And upon reflection, obviously, I know a lot better now. Um, and, and it was just like, well, hang on, you're a child. Yeah, and you're supposed to think like a child. You don't have to think like an adult. No, and I think like I was just going to say, Cal, like with 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 yours and probably with most because we know most of yes. you, it's familial, so it's relational trauma. It's different yeah. from going through a tsunami or having a vehicle accident because of that power and control. So a parent child. Um, and a child's greater need is to survive and attach to parent perpetrator, which is usually a loved or someone that you know. Um, so you're actually going to suppress all of your needs to attach um, to survive. So that same source of connection is actually your feared person. So you're connecting and fearful of the same person. So the only way that you can continue to have a relationship with them is to actually hate yourself. Because you can't hate them, like you can't fight flight generally with them. So the only way you can continue that relationship is to put all that blame, shift that locus of control onto yourself, which results in the demise of your inner child. Yeah, right. I, gosh, I think you got really emotional here. But like oh, it's <laughs> no, but I guess like you know, but it, we, we just expect so much of ourselves when, when we're going through these experiences and from the lived experience. This is why this is a great um, a, a great conversation because, you know, I've, I've got the brain of somebody who's been through the experience but obviously now done the healing and the work and having these conversations and then your clinical experience, um, you know, we can sort of look at the whole spectrum. And I think it's really important because we don't understand you know what's going on with these really complex relationships when we're dealing with uh, this this child trauma. Like, you know, we we get so 
I think the confusion is obviously when the person who, who's committing the offences, particularly, um, you know, when it's familiar, obviously, again, as you said, it's the 89%. So 89% of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by someone who's known to the child, right? So in my case, it's my uncle. Um, and, and again, I talk a lot about my, my story because I can and I can own that and I don't need to seek permission from anyone else to have this conversation, right? Um, but you know, there's a lot of confusion and, and I think what you're saying, Dr. Sher, is, um, you know, that splitting, that whole uh, restoring, um, you know, because th these people are our carers, They're, you know, that's that whole betrayal trauma when we've got a, we still have that attachment to the person that's caring for us and we, we want to please them and um, make them happy because making them happy makes us feel safe and when we're safe, then we're not going to be abandoned or lost or, you know, cast out from the family unit or not yeah. loved, you know. So yeah. it's it's this very um, dark, deep and confusing uh, space, you know. And and I, I just know, I remember myself being really confused about the roles and, and going, well, how come how come he wants to do this stuff with me when he's, he's my uncle, mm. but I, I, I'm very confused. Like I felt very confused Yeah. and it's, it's like, well, but, but I love my uncle because he does all these really cool things with me mm. and he, and he helps my family and, you know, mm. so it's well, that whole, no, you're right. No, you guys just said it's a whole. It's attachment. Like you're trying to like you please that person and stay mm -hmm. safe at the same time because you're like, well, I don't want to be left out to dry. And you know that as a child. Like yeah. you're not stupid. Yeah. You're not stupid. You you know that you've got to stay safe. And and I, and I think a lot of people beat themselves up um, because they're like, well, I should have known better. Well, no, you shouldn't. You're a child. And you put in an impossible situation, an absolutely impossible situation to make a choice. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in a survival brain trying to make adult decisions mm. from a child's body. And you just can't. Mm. No. Can't. No. Absolutely. And that's where that yeah. comes in too, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, so predominantly because attachment is a child's number one priority, um, any kind of cognitive reasoning, you know, I should be doing something else kind of goes out the window because that, that drive is so strong for a child. Um, but it's, it's that separation. So your trauma memories sort of go into that right side of the brain um, so that you can go on with normal life self and the left-hand side of the brain. But it's that continued splitting um, that requires you because, you know, like a child's brain, I was looking at that statistic again, you know, a child's brain who is, you know, experiencing sexual abuse is like that similar to those of combat soldiers, you know, so you're living on high alert as you're always detecting threat the same way as, you know, these um, war veterans are for the enemy. So you're literally living in your survival brain all the time. Um, so you are... That distress means, um, yeah, that you're always, like I was looking at the original definition, like of psychopathology, like of suffering, and it means 
like our psyche is our soul, our breath, our identity. So it's really our inner child, which is what we're talking about tonight. And the and the pathos is the suffering. So it's really a suffering of our soul, like a suffering of the, the inner child um, that causes us those ongoing psychosomatic illnesses because you're fighting against yourself. Well, I must be bad. So I've got to, you know, it's the only way you continue to have a relationship with perpetrators and others, and which is why I suppose down the track relationships are always so difficult because love and and that feared person, um, love, love is the enemy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, how you well, you learn through mirror, mirroring mm. uh, what you're supposed to do, you know, as a child. Like you learn like what touch, mm. like how to act, you know, and, and the whole definition and the whole um, uh, construct that we are given is mm. completely changed. Um, and and as you said, relationships moving forward in life are so difficult. Like, I mean, I've often um, attracted red flag people in my life because I haven't been able to pick up on yeah. those things, you know, like I, I hadn't done the work, hadn't done the healing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I, I just, I mean, I've had good partners too, but sabotage that because I thought, well, I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't deserve this. And so very subconsciously, not consciously no. making choices no. because I, I didn't feel like, it was right for me or you know mm. and just just on that note like um it's it's like you get stuck i suppose like your little child gets stuck in that fearful part part of the brain that they've done brain research on sort of called they're calling it deep deep brain imaging and it shows that when you've experienced like ptsd and you've been under threat um when they say okay go under the M- mris and just relax be in your most relaxed state you're ahead. <laughs> um, your it'll just be your um reptilian part of the brain that lights up when they put you under threat however that's when the sides of your brain and your frontal lobe come on so you feel most alive connected to others and yourself um when you're feeling under threat and I suppose it's just because you've always had to be that's when you feel most alive or probably most safe um, which is why it's hard sometimes to relax, to be compassionate to yourself. Um, what is this relaxing you're talking about? <laughs> what is this self-compassion? I don't yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. So, it, you, you know, you, you can see why it's it's hard and, and why it's, I suppose people might choose subconsciously these kind of red flag relationships because it's you're used to it. <laughs> Can I, could I suggest maybe even, and this is just a thought that just occurred to me, but self-punishing, like, yeah. I, I think, I don't I just lost my thought, but um, when, um, you know, let's look at things like addiction and uh, when you're hating on yourself so much and like self-harm and yeah. behaviours that you choose because you don't feel like you deserve anything better, yeah. so you just... I think you self-fulfill, you have that self-fulfilling prophecy that, mm. oh, well, this is how it is for me because this is my experience. So, yeah, therefore I am. Mm. Therefore I am, so that's it. And just punishing yourself because you yeah, still feel guilt and you still feel shame, which I'm going to say again and I'm probably going to say it every podcast, people, mm. child sexual abuse, not your fault, right? You're a child, mm. not your fault not your shame, 
doesn't belong to you, not your fault. Yeah, absolutely. But but what what's happened? What's happening is if you continue to disown yourself and keep that sort of moral injury, keep blaming yourself. Um, that's when like one of my good friends um, said, you know, who's been through a, lot, a severe, severe childhood trauma since birth. Um, she says, we are our trauma. And, and it's because of that blending, I suppose, of all these parts, like all the bad parts. And you believe that the trauma is somehow, yeah, your fault, which it's not. Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, so we've got to really help unblend that that it's your fault, like what you said. <laughs> um, these are these are just parts of you that feel unsafe, that are really wanting help or support, and sometimes harming yourself or feeling bad about yourself. It kind of just brings you back in, I suppose, into that shame, so that you're not connecting with others or yourself, which is where the perpetrators want you, really. Yeah, I don't want you to identify your true original self and speak out and and say I don't like this. No, that's right. It's 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 the the perfect um, solution for for predators to continue their work, isn't it? It's oh. the silencing and um, yeah, I, I, they prey on that. Honestly, like they find the, the vulnerabilities in children, and that's how they continue to to offend. Yeah. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, um, you know, and children are innocent and they're beautiful and they want to please. They want to make people happy and. Yeah. You know, even un unfortunately, unwanted attention is still attention, right? So you're looking at that um, whole Pavlovian theory. You want to go into the psychology, like you know, it's it's not necessarily nice attention, but you know, it's reinforced through the grooming behaviors and that sort of stuff. And so you continue to do what um, you don't necessarily want to do, but you feel like you should do and you must do to survive. Yeah, you know, so. Um, these these predators is what they do. It's yeah. it's how they are, and it's how they continue their work. So we want to break the cycles of abuse. That's that's where we have to start to do a little bit of work. And sometimes it sounds a bit weird and icky, like oh, I got to do inner child work. <laughs> I mean, that's how I was right before I, I did some work, and I realized, well, actually, yeah. I don't know how to have joy anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I struggle to have fun. My fun is short lived. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am very serious at times. So, you know, I crack some jokes here and there, but my mm. bad dad jokes aren't always great. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's very difficult to find joy when you've had a lived experience of child sexual abuse or mm. child neglect, emotional neglect, even domestic violence, you know. Yeah. Um, perpetrators use very similar tactics from child sexual abuse as they do in domestic violence relationships. So they mm. prey on that vulnerability, that beautiful, innocent part. Yeah. To continue to offend and mm. take advantage and it's about power and control it really is yeah. Um, yeah so yeah and and i think the other thing i wanted to raise when we had this conversation was grief mm. and and loss and people are like well what do you mean grief and loss grief and loss of the inner child well that sounds really cliche what the hell are you talking about kelly humphreys mm. um well when i look at like my nieces and nephews and they're so beautiful mm -hmm. they're so beautiful and they're so happy and like you know they play and laugh and I mean I played and laughed as a kid I had moments of joy and you know mm -hmm. did amazing things as a family so I remember when we did have those moments I held on to them I held on to them and I cherished them 
Mm. You know, I cherished things like family photographs on the walls and we didn't have a lot growing up because we were always building our house. But but things like, you know, putting up family photos and Christmases and valuing that one-on-one time with the family. I just remember holding on to those moments like more than other kids would mm-hmm. say hold on to them, you know, because I was always so scared, I think, of, of losing my family. Yeah. They're the things that I remember. Um, but, you know, growing up and, and, you know, coming out of that, then having to speak about it and now mm-hmm. being an adult survivor looking back, I'm still dealing with not, I mean, I've done a lot of work, but I, I just know from my adult self, mm-hmm. joy is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, getting in touch with that inner part of that innocent fun part and you're like, I'm not doing that, you know, I'm not dancing, I'm not mm-hmm. fun, you know, and I honestly, I when I say grieving the inner child, I grieve the loss of things like first times, right, and the, the things that like, well, it shouldn't have been like that. And I talk about this in my second book, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting there. Kim, if you're listening, I'm getting there. Um, uh, but things like the first kiss, right, and things like, well, mm-hmm. the first boyfriend thing, well, was he my boyfriend? You know, a journalist asked me that question not so long ago and it really threw me because I'm like, dude, you're the first person to ask me this question. And it's such a confusing time. And I thought I really, I, I got really sad because mm-hmm. where's that first sweaty, scary, high school, awkward first kiss? And so, you know, it's, it's like, I don't laugh about it because, you know, most first kisses aren't that good anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like my memory of, of, a, of a first yeah. kiss is something mm-hmm. that is so triggering and so awful. Mm. that I just I, I I grieve that innocence I mean what what would it have been? and I grieve what the what ifs and the what and the maybes well what if this didn't happen what would my childhood have been like right mm. so I just try not to ask those questions but what that does is separates me like you were saying earlier show it separates me from myself mm. You know. Yeah, and I suppose it's like if if you have those questions about your first kiss and, and dancing and all those you know things that you you missed out on, like what would you tell somebody else? You know, who was saying that? You know, I find it hard to you know do fun things and and um, I don't know, just because I suppose it takes risk, doesn't it? Because it, it, I suppose when, when you're doing those fun things, you've got to come out of your survival brain. You do. You've got, you've got to feel unsafe. You've got to feel connected um, with somebody else or, or yourself to be able to do that. But that's ultimately what it's what it's going to take to, um, I suppose, take those inner parts, those childhood memories or parts that you've unconsciously kind of put aside or suppressed or thought they're too yucky. I'm not going to share. I'm not going to talk about them um, until we make them conscious and and kind of integrate them accept them and be able to tolerate them even when you get you know your trauma triggers it's that integration of yourself as one wholehearted person the good and the bad the you know all of it that that you can actually feel safe enough I think to to come out and to not be under that threat brain 
Um, but it takes going into the pain first. It doesn't mean you've got to go through every single traumatic memory, but it's 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 acknowledging it's part of you, you know, all of those child parts. I just want to acknowledge too, you know, for people who have been through absolutely severe chronic trauma since they were in the womb, um, you know, do develop child selves, like many parts of many inside people that actually help them survive the chaos and the trauma because they come up with creative ideas and ways that they're yeah. going to cope when, when one person can't cope with everything. So I think you've got to give credit to this inner child um, concept because they're actually quite smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're talking, you're talking about those who uh, have dissociative identity yeah. disorder? Yes. Yeah. 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 So they have, like, uh, if anyone listening, that like multiple personalities that de- yeah. develop that mm. help the person experiencing trauma to survive. And it's actually quite common. Um, mm more than you would think but when we uh, we love to label um, uh, trauma coping as mental health Mm. disorders when I and and maybe Sharon I will actually conflict on this idea I don't know no I honestly believe most um, mental health Mm. disorders I say disorder Mm. uh, mental health issues whatever you want to say they're labels for traumatic coping responses your body actually doing what it's meant to do to help you survive yeah we're actually heroes yeah absolutely that they're survival strategies that have helped you survive and and your body is is working in amazing ways um, with all those survival parts um and i suppose it's about acknowledging that that fight flight you know all those um parts that are going to be easily triggered when we're living out of our survival brain have actually kept you safe yeah. They have all played a role to get you here, but but moving forward when you are in a safe place, how can I maybe better address when I when I'm triggered by someone or a smell or a, a rough tone, um, rather than just escaping or going to the bar or um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. we need other survival strategies now, like like basically sitting with discomfort emotional regulation being flexible with uncomfortable emotions talking to each other i've had this awful feeling and this brought up this terrible memory but talk talk to me about it you know don't suppress it so that you can live with it and go you know what yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, i'm going to go and have a face mask or do something nice for myself and you're able to do something more calming compassionate creative um confident to sit with those trauma triggers rather than just suppress them because we know suppression is is what leads to the the build-up and the staying in the survival brain yeah I guess when you're saying that I automatically go because I'm I'm pretty good I mean I don't get triggered that much anymore which is actually really wow I guess, the testament awesome. to some of the work that I do and continuing to stand up and talk all the time yeah yeah <laughs> maybe but I just like exposure therapy like you're, you're because you're continually and you're, and you're owning it you're talking about it you're not hiding that inner child anymore no but you're I feel like it. sometimes mm. uh and this I guess it kind of would relate to a lot of people who haven't done a lot of healing work mm. is that when you're getting those triggers I feel like it takes you straight back to being that that child like I know we're adults and you know we make adult decisions but I think in those moments um we we get really angry at ourselves because of how we're feeling or the decisions we're making at that time or like oh my god like here's me having a panic attack again oh my god like, why the hell do you do this like I hate you blah 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 and you go back into this like this childlike state and then you get angry at yourself for doing that but but that's what your uh, 
uh, your brain, your, your trauma pathways, I guess. It's like, I, I, wrote, I think I've used the metaphor in my book and I like it. It's like creek beds, right? So you've got, you can make as many new creek beds as you want, but when there's a flood, mm-hmm. water is always going to flow in the way that it knows how to flow, regardless of how many new creek beds that you make, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're making new habits and you're going and, and you're trying to conquer these triggers and to step up and rise above them and mm-hmm. um, as, as you're saying, uh, Dr. Sher, to embrace all of that. So you have actually mm-hmm. got strategies and the power and control to go, okay, this is not going to disable me like make me dysfunctional and i'm okay there's nothing wrong with me my body's doing what it's meant to do thank you body um and and not go back into that childlike state and recognize that when there's a flood it doesn't last very long it's like a flash flood right maybe and then you can go back into your new creek and your new pathways and and you can manage it right because the creek beds don't go away old neurological pathways don't just die But the brain, the brain is neuroplastic, like you said, you know, and we can create new neural pathways of how we cope with triggers and, you know, thoughts when that when that thought pops up in your head, I'm bad, I'm terrible, this is, I can't believe it, you know, um, notice, just noticing, externalising, I'm noticing I'm having that thought again, but don't yeah. mesh yourself with it and go, I am bad. Yeah. Um, you can spiral so quickly, like once you start those that thought process. Yeah, yeah, um, and it can totally derail you. So, um, I guess that's probably a, a good uh, place. Like, how do you start to bring little me, big me, into a place of um, integration? Where you know, I can't remember his name. Is it Dan Siegel? Yeah, the theory of um, chaos and rigidity. So that's basically we either live our lives in chaos because that's what we know, mm. or we stay the same and we don't move. And um, you can't. You're either one or the other, but you're not. The aim is to try and be integrated so that you can be all those things and yeah. still um, be integrated, as in you know, have a normal life and function, even though you're more hyper vigilant than maybe most people. Mm. Uh, more aware more alert like watching every exit I still do that no matter what maybe yeah. that's popping me I don't know yeah <laughs> um, um but you you learn uh to have power over mm. those moments and yeah. not let it have control over you mm. absolutely so how do you integrate what what are some things yeah sure so so this is janina fisher's work that i'm going to talk about so it's about that sort of uh, unblending of the parts of you you know um like your fight part that's you know might be angry at the world or yourself or your flight part where you're just always running or drinking or whatever distancing yourself um or freezing like that panic attack like the frozen or submitting depressed or cry for help so it's about as you say getting on with your normal life they're going to, they're still going to crop up um, because you're going to be hypervigilant because you're very hard, hardwired. Um, sorry. Me? What are you talking about? But it's, 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 but again, have that compassionate response, compassionate yes. inquiry, be curious. Of course, it's understandable that I am going to be hypervigilant um, and, and, but be compassionate with that part of yourself. But rather than being angry or distancing yourself from it, just be curious. Wonder what triggered me just then. Oh, there was an ambulance that went by. Um, of course, that's understandable. I've co- now, once I've noticed that it's a trigger, it's it's not actually my past. It's a reminder. 
um, obviously breathing, um, doing something compassionate, calming, courageous, um, confident, connecting with someone or yourself. Like there's lots of tips you can do, like even self-hugs if you're on your own, um, connecting um, with, with music or I don't know, any of those kind of C words just sit with those trauma triggers because they're just communications from parts of you that are either afraid, scared or, you know, feeling bad. So if you can, trauma is a wound, so we don't get angry at it, we don't stab it, we we, we, we soothe and tend it. So the more you can start soothing and tending your wounds, the sooner you're going to be like you and, and not be as triggered because you've learned to sit with them and tend them and look after yourself when it happens. I just, I think there's this thing like uh, there's a lot of people who struggle with mental health and mm. they don't want to feel, right? What, I, I have disassociated for so much yep. of my life. Yep. I wonder what have I missed, yep. you know, like I laugh. But, you know, yep. I, I acknowledge, I acknowledge that mm. disassociation, so for those who mm. don't know what disassociation is, it's a trauma coping response mm-hmm. where it's sometimes described, like for me particularly, it was like leaving my body, physically leaving my body. So, yes, I was mm. in my body but not present in my body mm. while abuse was happening. So while traumatic experience is happening, it was traumatic stimulus, mm. um, I have disassociated from my body, right? Mm. So basically it makes the traumatic experience more bearable Um, But what happens is with repeated exposure, we become more disassociated, not present in our everyday life. We walk around and for me, like I guess um, it's a PTSD thing and correct me if I'm wrong, Shay, I'm just talking off the cuff here as I do. Um, But, you know, it's it's like a trauma fog, I think it's called. And it's like for me walking around with a bucket on my head going, I don't actually know what I did today. I have Mm. no clue. And so when we're constantly in this hypervigilant state, not actually fully present in our life yeah we're not fully present with our decisions mm-hmm. um, it's hard to make decisions it's hard to process day-to-day activities it's hard to move forward and so um by becoming integrated and recognizing these triggers and if people are shy away from their triggers and they go i don't want to feel that yeah yep. i don't want to do that so i'm not going to go there mm. but i've said this before and you've said it in a different way, I'm going to say it in a different way, is triggers are the body's alarm system where it's saying to you, hello, deal with me, hello, deal with me. It's an invitation. I think your body's inviting you to respond. And and that's how I have looked at it now. Like in the past, I've gone, oh, I don't think I can go there with that. But if it comes up, I go, right, deal with it. Great. deal with it because your body's saying it's time it's yeah time. Mm. so when it gets shit mm. you go i'm in all right and yeah. you said it before i i i refer to i say be gently curious mm. um and i say that and you said be curious about it before yeah. Yeah. i say be gently curious about it because um you i i my internal language as a survivor is I couldn't say it out loud and <laughs> we've not put like beat marks everywhere because we have an awful language to ourselves and when uh, these things come up I know that I'm very unkind yeah. to me and we don't need to be unkind. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the world. I'm pretty sure we don't need to talk like that to ourselves. No um 
but use those triggers. Don't be so afraid of them that you continue to be shut away from the world, hide from the world. Mm-hmm. The, the world's waiting for all of your little parts to come out and 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 be all that you can be, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what to me, and if you've read my first book, you know it's called Unscathed Beauty. Mm-hmm. You can purchase a copy from my website. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, it, it's everything you are in spite of all that's happened to you, right? And I hated my my little self. Like, I mean, she was pretty tough and she was like very good at sport. And I was like, yeah, you go, girl. But I, mm-hmm. I, I was so, I felt so dirty about her. And I'm like, you should have known. You, you were so strong as an athlete. You, you know, you should have been able to stand up against him and like, <laughs> you know, as if I could do that. But in my mind, I was like, did what I could to be big and strong and, you know, protect everyone around me. But mm. we have to forgive, come to a part of where we forgive ourselves. And um, I I did that. And uh, when I took myself away, and, and it's, again, it's the basis for my mm. second I took myself away for 10 days and I went through this process. And one of those days was about reconnecting with me, with who I was. And I didn't realize until that moment how much I didn't appreciate how strong I was. And I didn't think I was brave and I didn't think I was strong. I didn't think I was courageous. And in fact, I thought I was a coward. I thought I was a coward and it took taking the time, yeah. taking the time and going, I'm not going to go there, but I have to go there if I want to be a speaker, an author, share on a stage, talk about this stuff, I've got to deal with this. And I and I, pulled it, I ripped it to shreds and I was like, do you know what? Mm. I was eight and I stood up to a six-foot strong, much older man. Mm big man and if, if you're out there and you have a lived experience I want you to just take a second even if it's really tough and really hard for you mm-hmm. and just acknowledge that you were courageous you were brave you were strong and mm-hmm. you know if, if you have it in you to forgive yourself if you're holding on to unforgiveness towards yourself just know that you were a child, recognize that you're a child and that you couldn't have done any better and you did an amazing job. And I just want to point that out. No matter how big and strong you were, you, you a child's not meant to make adult decisions at, as a child, right? So uh, it took me going back and actually ha- having a hard conversation with my little my little self, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure, share with your clinical work, you've seen many versions of what I'm referring to. Yeah. And I, I, I love that you did that for yourself. And I suppose it might take a lot of people a lot of courage to get to that point. And I suppose this is where it is helpful if, if you can 
uh, uncover the truth about yourself and and um, with someone that you do trust, you know, or a trauma informed therapist, um, so that um, you know, because from what I've learned, and, I, and my biggest teachers are my clients. Okay, um, not the textbooks. It's you guys. <laughs> um, you know, from what what I've learned is that you know, if someone can come in and sit in front of me and I am not disturbed at all, and I can bear witness to your suffering with you and not crumble or fall apart or just be horrified but I can actually sit with you in that and just show you that love and care and compassion that my hope and prayer is that you will also be able to do that for yourself and do what you did when you took that time you know Mm. yeah it's it's hard but I I've always known I've had a greater purpose for Mm. what I do and this this podcast is one of the visions in action which has taken many people to bring it together and you know guests like yourself sure showing up and and Mm. being present with me in these like difficult conversations Mm. and the girls in the back end helping run the podcast you know it takes many of us doing the work to get the messages out there so yeah and and you've you've done a lot of work you know and you're at that stage you know where you're focusing on the person that you know you want to be and that little girl wants to be well always wanted to be like and you're you're giving that to her now you know not rather than always being the person person that you've got to fix you know but we, we do have to go to that first I think to that person who we need to fix and we don't need to fix but we need to listen just listen to her listen to your child what 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 do they need how can you meet meet their needs you know um you know every little broken part of you is is important it does not need to be hidden anymore um nothing is wasted that you have been through or experienced even all the worst possible bits um i love always looking back at the original hebrew greek words of meanings but to um to rebuild okay it means to do a new thing um in hebrew which means chadash so it's fresh and new, but when you look at the original meaning, it means to rebuild, repair, and renew. So everything you have been through is useful, okay? So it's about embracing all of you, all of those parts, to yeah. become your whole self, to live wholeheartedly again. Yeah, and I love that because I think we we the parts we don't want to see, we're like, oh, I hate that I do that or I hate that I do this, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone about that and, you know, yeah. it's just one of those things you just think, oh, my goodness, you know, like, and you just hide from the world. But those parts are really yeah. beautiful and, yeah, you know, they're important. And, I I mean, I uh, I don't want to say I want to thank him for my trauma because I don't. No. Um, but I'm using and I'm choosing to use my story for something yeah. much greater. But I can tell you right now yeah. um, it is very difficult to do this and continue to show up um, yeah. and have these deep conversations because I, I – like sure, you you learn something from your clients all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm learning something about myself when I have these conversations every yeah. time, mm-hmm. you know. And and they're important and they matter. Um, and they matter for everyone who's listening. So if you're out there and you're listening, and I really I really appreciate your support and being here, and actually be willing to dive into this dark conversation. Mm-hmm. But we hope we keep it. We're trying to keep it light. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it is a difficult difficult um, conversation to have. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering, Dr. Sher, do I share this poem? Yes. Do I share this poem that I wrote? I'm sure everybody would say yes, if if you're willing to share, because this is part of, you know, and compassionate letter writing or writing poems or music or this is really important because it, it has the opportunity to transform that pain and shame into something 
<laughs> different, something beautiful that you're creating. And I think on the grief cycle, when you look at, you know, depression, anger, despair, you know, bargaining with God, coming to acceptance, there's a part missing at the end that needs to be creativity because I think you have to take back control of your life and your personal strength to create what you want. Like what good are you going to do with this, Kel? And so you've written this poem, so let's hear it. <laughs> I did. I bargained with God a lot. I was like, if I uh, if I speak up, we need to like, you know, I'm like, you do this for me, I'll do this. <laughs> um, all right. So I, when I took myself away, part of us was like, all right. Well, what would I tell my inner child? What would I tell Kel? What would I say? So it doesn't really have a title. What would I call my inner child? <laughs> all right. So here we go. So it says, um, you are such a pretty little girl, happy and healthy, with beautiful little curls. Smiling and singing as happy as can be. You are a little princess and you are still part of me. Your eyes are bright and happy. Your heart is full of love for all to see. You look up in amazement as you point to the clouds above. Every new experience is given all of your attention and love. You are cheerful, compassionate and caring, yet you are wild and free and uncaring. You are innocent, vulnerable and the world is at your feet. You are determined no such thing as defeat you throw caution to the wind and get the job done you are brave bold and strong i know you get afraid sometimes i know you get scared that's fine i know that when the darkness comes you want to hide you tried to make it work looked for someone to confide you took the world on your shoulders even though you were scared to protect all for who loved for all of who cared mm -hmm. You waged a war inside you that no child should ever fight. You even lost sleep waiting fearful in the night. You were like the silent warrior that no one knew was there, making plans and making safe, yet they didn't even care. They didn't know that you were hiding, so it's okay, you see. You did what worked, you made it right, and now you can be free. I know that he hurt you and broke the strength of you inside. I know he did things to you and none of them were right. I know he lied to you and told you many things. I know he stole the song in your heart, the song you want to sing. I know that he made you promises that he just didn't keep. I know that in the darkness, those silent tears you weeped. I know that no one told you that you were brave and bold. I know you thought that you were bad, weak and a coward. I know that no one saw you fight the battle of your life. I know no one cheered you on or tried to make it right. I know you didn't tell you kept your secret for many years. But now you have done what's right. You have cried so many tears. I know that you long for someone to come and set you free. I know because you grew up and that someone is me. So if you think you're bad, let me tell you that you tried so very hard. You did everything you could when it didn't make sense from the start. If you think you made it happen, well, take it from me, you didn't. And if you're still blaming yourself, I have listened. You are forgiven. And if you think it's your fault that things just didn't work, your heart while free to dream was tarnished with dirt. I understand and I know now, and that's my fight to bear. So you can let go, my child within. The adult in you does care. That's it. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was a very intense 10, yeah. 10 days, guys. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. 
But, you know, it's not just the words of my heart. I, I feel like when I wrote that, it's the word of every little Everybody. girl, every little boy yeah. Yeah. who's out there. And, mm. um, you know, I, I think you have to start with healing from a place of forgiving yourself and yeah. for all the things you thought you should have done, but you actually mm. could not do that, you know, and, and we just have these over... Um, zealous mm. expectations of what we should have done as children. Yeah. You have to forgive mm. yourself because you're a child. Yeah. So. Wow. That was beautiful, Claire. Thank you for sharing. I just love that. I think that line you said, you're still part of me. And I think, I don't know if everyone can kind of keep that as, you know, I suppose whenever you're triggered or feeling like bad, it's like, remember, you're still part of me. You know, I love, you know, how you said, you know, you waged that war, but nobody saw, you know, fight the battle of your life. Well, it's it's time for you to, I don't know, it's, I, I found in my in my moral injury research that it's that sort of self-blame that, that wages the war by almost 50% of your PTSD symptoms. So if you can just stop that war against yourself, that's going to help, you that's know. That's really important. So I guess if you're taking anything from that um, and, and we can, is your research published for that? Yes. Yeah. My PhD It's pretty long and arduous. So I might, I might try and, but, but I do, I do have an article, a paper that I, that I wrote actually. Yeah. So I can maybe give that to you to share if, if you like. So yeah. Well, we can, we can just add it um, yeah. to the comments somewhere, but yeah. I was like, it's, it's just, I, I know we're having a very deep and interesting conversation but i hope there's been lots of healing in this for you so um there's there is a couple of questions um from our live audience tonight so we'll just jump into those um probably for you dr share how do you know that you're healing how do you start healing and keep healing and not stop yeah very good question but it's a really personal um you would know i suppose I don't know, just something that came to mind, even even that song that you said, Kel, like that you that he took from you, not being able to sing. And I'm thinking like a way of knowing you if you've started healing is if you start singing again. <laughs> you know, even just dropping your jaw and, and just feeling that release in your body to me would be a sign that you're taking back your personal strength and doing these nice things for yourself um, that you would feel, I don't know, a release. I mean, I don't know, Kel, do you feel like when you... I don't know. When when do you feel like that you're healing? Yeah, look, I think it's a really good question um, and it's really important because healing is hard for everybody and everybody's like, oh, I want to heal, but how do I do it? Mm -hmm. I think it's making conscious decisions all the time to invest in yourself and yeah. even when it's hard, right? So it's like if your personal growth matters to you, yeah. then you will choose to do the work and that might be taking a course, getting a coach, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it depends what you want to do um but I, I think it's it's when you know you're not well mm. it's one having good strategies it's two mm. when you're triggered i think and, and when um you know there's something that you need to get out that you need to talk about um, yeah. but you continue to refuse to go there um you are, you are just sabotaging yeah. yourself and and you're Basically, and maintaining the cycle. You're maintaining the yeah, cycle. Yeah, you you're just the silencing. You're maintaining the yourself. Yeah. Hiding yourself. Yeah. And and I think you're also depriving the world of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Mm. There's people in your life that are waiting for you to jump out and, and yeah. you know, yeah. to, to be all you are. Like yeah. who knows what's waiting for you on the other side of that mountain? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and, I, and I know there's a lot of people who are, who are uh, listening tonight who have a lived experience and mm. trauma is layered. Mm. Um, when you, I mean, I, I, I can say I'm fully healed, but there's some rabbit holes I have not been down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think it's just recognising yeah those moments and going okay i'm going to deal with this and not as you said earlier share um when you're triggered or when it comes up Mm. to get curious about it and if you yeah i think from my point of view if that curiosity is debilitating and becomes difficult you need someone in your corner with you a safe Mm. person Mm. you know like dr share or someone who's trauma-informed and trauma-informed therapist who can guide you through that until you don't need someone to hold your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, your question, the question um, asked, how do you not stop? I think you just mm. have to have it. It's a life, yeah. It, it, trauma doesn't go away, um, mm. but I think that whole integration that we talked about is, is mm. being able to bring those parts together and make it a part of our lifestyle. Mm. Make healing. Yeah, and, and staying true to your sense of self like you know whatever that is for you don't accept the version that anyone else has tried to silence you or make you like you know take that time like what you do Kel go and be still as much as I know it's really hard to do terrible (laughs) um but it's even in that um being still like it precedes rest and renewal and and that rebuilding process like you know destruction of our and I know we feel like this is absolutely destroys our lives but when you actually lie down, it's like a butterfly, you know, it has to almost die really, doesn't it? <laughs> um, you know, um, even when a baby's tooth comes through, the, the gum kind of really bro- breaks apart and dies for that tooth to come through. So, yes, it's going to be painful, but <laughs> it's part of you, your rebuild. Um, yeah. But it, it has to also be that rest and renewal so that you can grow again and rebuild. Yeah. Yeah um so the second question uh on here is what is the line between your inner child needing some healing and borderline personality disorder is bpd an extension of the unhealed inner child i think that's a you question sure it's oh. <laughs> a really interesting question but again i don't know bpd adhd um complex ptsd you know, they're all very similar because of that attachment, you know, mm. because you weren't able to have that secure attachment. Um, so, again, love, love is the enemy. Um, so you're always going to have those sort of difficulties in connection and relationships. So um, what was the question? If Is that an unhealed child self? Probably. <laughs> um, because... It's still, yeah, you're not connecting to yourself and, and others still. Yeah. I think from my understanding and mm. uh, any schizoaffective disorders, so uh, borderline personality, mm. schizophrenia, mm. multiple personality disorders, DID, those types of things are um, major extensions of diso- disassociation, yeah. right? So that's like the furthest, and this is my how I understand it in the non-sure way. Yeah. Um, it, it's like extreme um, coping from PTSD. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that could be from mm-hmm. anything. It may not be child sexual abuse. Most of the time I would suggest that it is. Mm. But yeah. I'm, I'm not a researcher and I don't know. I'm, 
I like to make things up, but <laughs> from what I've seen, <laughs> that's my experience um, and my understanding. So, mm. um, look, I think we've all got a bit of an unhealed child inside of us, to be honest. Uh, absolutely. So, but, um, but rebuilding, you know, again, treatment or the way we heal ourselves, again, connection, connection to yourself and others, learning to co-regulate yourself, rebuilding that self-regulation through, you know, I suppose flexibly befriending with that beautiful, what, what did you call it, compassionate curiosity. Um, That's an even better word. Well done. So, <laughs> um, so whenever you do have those relationship ruptures, rather than going off and blaming yourself, oh, I'm a terrible person, you know, sit with it a different way. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. understandable that I was triggered in that, you know, but you know what, I'm going to calm myself down um emotionally regulate and then i'm going to go back and try and, try and fix that relationship rupture yeah with myself first and foremost <laughs> yeah gosh yes. so much hard work here <laughs> I, I i don't think so i think it really boils down to having that compassionate inquiry to healing your trauma wound um your younger self your child parts you know you're still part of me all of you <laughs> um but let's Let's, yeah let's not make it the enemy anymore because you're not the enemy yeah let's lay the, the blame where it needs to lay and and as you say forgive yourself and and honor your courage um and strength yeah. that it has taken to survive but now you don't want to just survive you want to go on and, and heal but thrive and, and move beyond your trauma so that you don't stay stuck in those old patterns that have served you well till now but moving forward there are better ways as your adult self that you can connect in and give more resources to those parts of you now than yeah just going that's, brain. that's really perfect that's yeah because you do uh, we hold on to these things that have worked for us yeah yeah but they don't work anymore and well as adults mm -hmm. we're grown up now so we need to choose a more grown-up way to deal with our mm -hmm. trauma and you know, it's even things like projection of our anger, like if we become violent because that's worked for us before and it's, you know, it's got us out of situations that are uncomfortable or whatever yeah. pattern of behaviour we have formed that's yep. not serving us needs to go. It needs yeah. to go. So, yeah. um, you know, and that's, that means doing the work. It means being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But without that, you're not going to have the freedom and what's on the other side of that and... Yeah, it's, it's like worth it. It's really oh, worth absolutely. It. You know, just quickly. So eagle, you know, we know eagles are the only birds that fly right to the eye of the storm. And what happens when they get there? The current lifts them above. You know, all the other chickens are birds are flapping around. You know, so the more we can face our fears, everything you've ever wanted is actually on the other side. I truly believe that. So take mm. courage and strength, and you know, you've got so much support and resources, and you know, and just be your own best parent. You know, reparent those parts of you that need need a bit of a kick in the pants yeah <laughs> it's a, fun yeah, a loving kick in the pants okay yeah that's right a compassionately curious yeah. kick in the pants yeah. <laughs> um there's just one more question from uh kim here so um many with lived experience in our trial so basically of uh, the survivors that we speak to um, have mentioned obviously they hate themselves but to remain attached to the familial abuser but then eventually when in a position to hate the perpetrator for those who maintain that position of an unchanged relationship attached mm -hmm. with the perpetrator what is your comment of what is going on there i think everything we've just talked about tonight they they have as long as they keep hating themselves 
they can have the relationship with the perpetrator. Like, and if it's that greater need for attachment, especially if it's a parent, um, you can see why children might need that, especially with very strong, harsh grooming. Um, but as you say, we just hope that one day they do actually love themselves enough to be able to walk away from that and go, that's not a safe, good relationship for me. Yeah, yeah. Even if you are blood, you know, you are hurting me and I, and I deserve to speak and have a voice and, and be safe, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think too, like a lot of parents um, will put their child back in a position where they still have contact with offenders and I want to say to those parents, a child cannot heal, a person does not heal, even an adult, if forcing yourself to see uh, a person who's um, perpetrated offences against you long after those offences uh, in family situations, barbecues, Christmases, whatever it is, it's it's very uh, re-traumatising and it's not at all helpful for the post-traumatic growth of any person. So, um, you know, it's cut that contact off, um, you know, because the person deserves to heal uh, in a safe way. Yeah. Um, and not have those experiences basically thrown back in their face. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, even though there's that attachment there, it's not a healthy attachment, it's a no. toxic attachment, Absolutely. and we don't need toxic attachments to, to heal. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I know myself and mm. I have not seen my uncle since he was convicted, but I've seen um, his ex-partner and that was enough to send me very spiraling almost and I was um, working at the time as a police officer and I saw this person walk into the shop where I was whilst I was working um, and yeah, big brave tough cop just melted so um, it's not it's not good so that's that's probably my five cents or ten cents on that so wow. yeah but um, guys it's been a very big conversation tonight I'm, I'm sure uh, there's some great strategies, some, um, you know, tips from Dr. Sher of how to start to integrate those parts of ourselves. Um, but, guys, just to honour yourself and your experience and um, to honour those parts of you and your little child and go back and listen to my poem and take that for yourself and put your name in there and just acknowledge the work that you did as a child and that you survived and you were brave and courageous mm -hmm. And I want to thank you so much um, for being part of that conversation tonight. Um, please follow along. Dr. Sher and I have got some big things coming. We have a, a training organisation that we've established to help. Um, we're doing some gap training. So just really quickly, it will be um, how we can help organisations, businesses um, to have a trauma-informed education response framework so that the work that they're doing is um, basically supporting uh, survivors of trauma and abuse so that they feel safe um, and it's just to give strategies and awareness around that. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Cher. No, that's no, no, that's awesome. No, just um, inspired by all of you, Carol, the work you do um, in, in, in just giving people a voice to, to not have this pain and shame. You know, it's time. It really is time for people to be whole and their their full selves. You know, um, and I think what we're talking about tonight is humbling yourself like a little child and receiving yourself is the greatest gift you can really give yourself. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you do like the content that you're hearing, I would love your support. I have a Patreon account. You can go to www.kellyhumphreys forward slash Patreon. 
Um, I would love your support. I need your support uh, to help keep this going. Um, so that would be fantastic. Uh, thank you guys again. Thank you, Dr. Sher, for joining us. Thank you. And um, if I didn't get to your questions, guys, I will make sure that I address them. Okay. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.